Button up your overcoat, it's China Spoilers. of Chinese China Spoilers, a weekly podcast where we talk about making a movie while we live in China. Uh, I am your host, Emily, and with me as always is Peter. We are coming to you live to tape from lovely Wu Studios in Luzhou, Sichuan, China. And today's topic is keeping a big project all in your head all at once. Uh, but first, let's get started with a little How's Your Uncle? So I've been back in China for one and a half weeks from America. And that much already? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I got back thir- on a Thursday morning, so a week and some. Yeah. Um, and we've been getting out and about, and the weather, it's in typical Luzhou fashion. It was super, super hot, and then yesterday it rained. Bang. And now it's going to be cold and rainy for the next two months. Um, but that's good news for us. It's no longer too hot to leave the house. Um, and we've already been getting out some. We went to our favorite pork rib restaurant for dinner, um, for our anniversary dinner. And it was delicious. It's a pork rib. How many anniversaries? Uh, nine. We've been together. We've been married nine years. <laughs> and this place is famous in Luzhou. They serve a delicious spicy pork rib on a shovel. Um, very shishi. It's very shishi. It's very like, I, because the design of the restaurant when it first opened, our friend Andrea calls them Kung Fu restaurants because they're very like old China decor and like the Even waiters. it's like in an apartment style modern building, it's the, the walls are all big logs. Yeah, yeah. And it does this like like themed to look very old China and the waiters would wear these costumes and that was um, fun. Uh, but the shovel aspect of it, I've heard Chinese friends say like, no, that's not a thing. <laughs> but I guess it's just like people serve stuff in weird dishes. Well, it kind of looks like a, something... Creative plating is always a... Yeah, it looks like New York-y. Yeah. Something yeah. to do. Yeah, and it comes with these skinny little french fries underneath that absorb all the spicy juices. It's so good. It's our favorite place. It was the first place when we we moved away for a year and came back. That was the first place we went when we came back. And it is often the first place we go when we travel other places. And it's it was here it didn't come into come here until after we came here. Yeah. And so we were afraid it was going to close the entire time. This entire time. Until to this day. We are, yeah. Every time before we go, we're like, make sure we call ahead. Still it's open. Because that's a, a Lujo and China thing. Yeah. Stuff just is gone. Yeah. Just With to make no sure warning, it keeps no sticking in there. And they had a recent remodel, too. Hmm. Um, or re- two years ago remodel. <laughs> <laughs> but well, it looks good. it used good. to be, there was more of a, a costume-themed kind of thing going on. Yeah, they've kind of dialed back on the costuming and the... And the, the, the... The styling of the room itself is kind of toned down. The staff was a lot of 
more maybe college kids, mm-hmm. maybe high school kids. I don't know because they used to be a lot more playful, and now they're all professionals and buttoned up. Yeah, it's very serious. <laughs> um, and the cost—it's now it's just like a sh- a shirt from the restaurant. It's not any kind of special. Yeah, they used to like the kids would all wear them like wild pirate style. Like, yeah. <laughs> But they looked like, you know, martial arts fighting might break out at any moment, but now they look like waiters, which, which is fine. It, it t- t- takes away a little bit of the fun, but it's still a, a, a riotous fun, because it's it's so busy. Yeah. It's a, it's a popular place, and it's a popular, and and not in a shishi way, it's definitely like oh, yeah, table a, party fun. That's where people go to celebrate fun things. And the food has not gone downhill. Yeah. And they the big change they made was they used to have a menu that had pictures, which was helpful. Um, I've changed my stance on menus with pictures in China. <laughs> I used to be all the time against them, but it's been very helpful sometimes in China. But so now they don't have that menu anymore. You come in, they have like the wall by a kitchen um, with the ingredients of a dish that is going to be prepared. So some of the dishes, like, they don't look like what they look like as raw ingredients, so you kind of have to, like, guess. <laughs> like, there's a, one of the tofu ones we looked at that was, like, the cake of tofu with mm-hmm. the vegetable medley on the side is actually, like, a stew I saw on someone else's table, and it doesn't look like a stew pre, pre-cooked. Um, but so you go and you look at the dishes and you take a card and then you give all the cards of all the dishes you want to your waiter and then that's how you order. Which, which is, sounds like all cafeteria and whatnot. Yeah, but yeah. But the food is not, the food is really high quality. It's all fresh and fresh made. Which yeah. uh, probably one of the reasons why it changes so often from whatever stock menu that you have mm-hmm. that it's just not there sometimes so... Yeah, I guess this is their way of, like, we have this. Yeah. Instead of, there would be certain dishes on the menu we'd order all the time, and they'd be like, oh, we don't have that. And, like, when when do you have that? Yeah. Oh, which, well, let's stop putting out this menu that says we have this, because we don't. Yeah, which is another one of those Western things that we got used to pretty quickly. Of You go to your restaurant, because you know you want this meal and this meal, and, and you go there, and they don't have it, and you're like, what what kind of restaurant? Yeah. But it's the kind of restaurant that serves fresh food. Yeah. Well, I'd also say Chinese menus are, in general, bigger than fine dining menus would be in America. Yeah, there is... Well, and people say the more culinary minds that I've seen around here are... like to brag how the, the, the Sichuan in particular, but Chinese food all overall has, like, maybe more dishes than any other cuisine. Mm. And they're just... There's stuff that we've never even come close to imagining at this point, even after all these years. Yeah. Well, like, even just today, we went out with friends for lunch, and we had this meatball smashed flat and then, like, wrapped in a phyllo paper dough or rice mm. paper, and then, like, sprinkled... I'm going to take one quick break here. Yeah. And either don't look at me... Okay. Or, <laughs> you know, because jumping around here is just, you look weird in the camera going like. <laughs> I know. It's hard. It's hard just to talk to a lens. I know. Okay. I, I agree. I, should we change anything or? No, I'll just try to like, <laughs> this is your nose. That's, that's me. 
Because I'm looking straight at you, so it's funny, but I'm looking at you going... <laughs> I was trying not to do that, too. <laughs> uh, it's not a new studio, but yeah. but we're constantly making changes. Well, that's... The setup is always changing. I mean, so every week, the, I'm in a different, slightly different place. Yeah. And usually I can look right at you, but... Well, we've, we've tightened things up a little bit here. Trying to get a, a, a more streamlined focus of everything yeah. working. Well, we've been bringing the microphone in closer and closer to both of us, which I think is good. It has worked for the sound, yeah. I think. All right. Well, and that's that's a tech interlude. <laughs> Ta-da! Ta-da! Um, I don't know. I don't really have anything else to say about food. Yeah, we said a lot about food. Okay. What's next? Um, I also... Before I went to America, so this this was a big big deal. <laughs> Before I went to America, at my gym, they surprised me with a a boxing trial class for one of my regular classes, and then I went and it was like super fun. And then afterwards, they're like, "Buy it, buy a full <laughs> year of lessons, and it's really expensive. You should buy it now and put you should put some money down now. Buy them all. It's re it's really fun." And so I was like, "Oh, okay, I had fun." Okay, and then like my whole vacation, I was like, that was such a mistake. I shouldn't. That's too much money to spend, even for a full year. It's a, it was a lot of money. Did they get you before or after the workout? After, uh, so I'm also like all dazed and like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm full of adrenaline from <laughs> boxing, but exhausted from boxing. <laughs> and and you want some more boxing? Yeah, and then so like all the time I was in America, I was like, oh, I made such a mistake. How am I gonna fix it? And then. I did like, you know, a little CBT on myself, cognitive behavioral therapy. Like, they cannot make me take boxing classes. They cannot come to my house, force me to come to the gym, and make me take boxing classes I don't want to take. So I like that helped. And then when I got back to China, I kind of put off, put off, put off. I decided I did it. You know, I want the money back, or I, I want to not pay the money for boxing lessons I'm not going to take. But I would be happy if they use that money to pay for more of my regular lessons that I do take. Because um, you don't want to lose the place. You like the place. Yeah, I like the place. There. I don't want to walk away from the down payment I put down. Um, but I do want to keep box. going there. And I don't want to pay the rest of the money to take boxing lessons. <laughs> and then, so, like, I was really nervous about this. And so I had my... One of my coworkers, my Chinese coworkers, came with me. I said for language, but it was really for moral support <laughs> um, because she doesn't really speak English. So, like at the school, I explained to her what I wanted to happen, and then she relayed that to them. And then even my trainer to her was like, "Oh, are you the translator?" And she's like, "No, I don't translate, but I know the situation <laughs> because I had just told her." And after the fact, it was like. Language-wise, I could have handled it, but I was really happy to have had someone on my side because I'm nervous and people mm -hmm. easily can sell me things. <laughs> so I ended up buying, putting a down payment on boxing lessons in the first place. Um, but it all worked out, and then so I felt good. And then that, it turned out, I when I got back from China, I hadn't done any writing because I was so nervous about that. And then like that evening, I was like, okay, I'm ready. So that it turns out like when I'm stressed out, I can't write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but resolving that stress really like immediately 
Plus also the, the, you said the boxing was just rough on like your joints and... Oh yeah, it was like really fun while I was doing it and then the next like four days, like I get sore after work, working out, I know what that's like, but I was just like incredibly sore and like my forearms hurt massively and my wrists didn't feel that great either and that it was like joint pain I didn't think would be so great. I mean I did google boxing and arthritis. <laughs> the big thing with boxing, surprise surprise, is head injuries and concussion. Um, so that's like what what came up when I looked up medical stuff about boxing, which also I don't want concussion so um, I don't know. Maybe one day when we're rich. <laughs> <laughs> and you're younger and, and stronger. I'm, and I'm younger, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll do, I don't know. It was fun, and I've always wanted to try some kind of fighting. Um, but as, a, as another negative, I don't have depth perception, so, it, like, that's kind of tricky. <laughs> that's why I've quit every sport I've ever done, because it's really hard. It's really hard to play tennis if you can't tell, like, where the ball is. Yeah. But so, yeah, it's for the best that I'm not taking boxing. And it, it was, like, one of those things... I'm sure that other people have this, it's not just me as a lunatic, that like when you worry and you worry and you worry and then something occurs to you, in this case it was like, I don't have to take boxing lessons. And then like, oh, everything feels relieved. And then you're like, I, that's, that's that a consensus. That's a bodily consensus that this is the right choice. So, yeah. <laughs> well, maybe also something similar like Wushu or something like that would easier on your body, down the line. It might be less expensive too, cause it's like... Cause that was a big thing too, is they just installed a like boxing ring. Oh yeah, this is their so special thing and they had, that they were putting pressure on me cause like the guy from the Beijing office in charge of the boxing program was signing people up and they're like, he really wants you to sign up now. And I'm like, can we talk about this after I get back from America? Now, now, now! <laughs> and like usually, this is the most pressure they've ever given me. I like this gym because they're not, they don't put pressure on me normally. Mm. Like even for the, the private training lessons I do, I approached them. They never approached me until I like was said that I was interested. So in general, they're pretty chill, but this was just like, hey, it's a good idea to give us a lot of money right now <laughs> to sign up for this program for a full year. So. Which, I mean, it's a new new program, the boss is there, you, you can't blame the guy too much because that would be pretty awesome to restart a new oh, program yeah. and here's the foreigner in town that's... And I think the trainers like away. doing the boxing, I think they have fun too. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, like, I can tell my trainer enjoys his job, but it is definitely his job to, like, make me do sit-ups. <laughs> <laughs> but I think for boxing, that's, like, fun and exciting for them too. Right. Um, and it's, fun, it's fun. the ring is like right in the middle of the gym, so you can see other people doing it, and it, it like it looks super cool. It feels super cool in the moment. <laughs> Afterwards, I was totally wrecked. <laughs> You're all stage front and yeah. But yeah, so in another life, I was huh? a boxer. <laughs> in this one. I'm just the lady who does sit-ups. <laughs> <laughs> the lady who denied boxing. Yeah. But yeah, because uh, that, that was the thing when I was like at maximum worry. Like, they can't make me pay the rest of this money for the boxing. And they can't make me 
come to boxing lessons I don't want to come to. Um, so it's a big win on your part. Yeah, so I win. And then I stood up for myself mm -hmm. with the help of teacher, teacher Sonia came with me. So thank you. <laughs> and then quick, quick updates on basil and Rubik's. The basil's still growing. And I'm hoping, because Lujo fall weather, it's so rainy, but it doesn't actually get cold, cold for another couple months. So I think we got like two more months of basil. And I'm gonna say it publicly so I follow through. I wanna see if I can make a pesto. Um, Cause we keep putting it on pizza that we order from a Western <laughs> restaurant, which feels like cooking, but it's not. But it is, it does like super delicious to have fresh basil on a pizza. Yeah. Um, but if I could make some pesto, I think that would be really cool. Yeah. Do we need to order pine nuts? Or can we, do we have pine nuts to I don't know if they have pine nuts. Uh, they do, cause I think I bought pine nuts once and we didn't eat them. Yeah, I think we didn't. I mean, we know what to do with it, but we didn't yeah, know what to do with it. Yeah, we just, like, we had the one meal and then we didn't finish the bag. Because there was a point, was it just mint or was it also basil that we were confused as to we might have seen around town? Which we may have seen, seen mint around. No, the mint definitely wasn't till after we came back from Lee John. There yeah. was no mint. I think it was parsley. Yeah. Because we'd see cilantro everywhere, and then we'd be like, is that parsley? <laughs> and then it's not parsley. Although we did it with parsley at lunch today. Yeah. I don't know. These are different herbs. Different herbs. <laughs> around town. They, they were here, and then they were here. That was the first big benefit of, of we just finding cilantro, and then finding that it's in everything here was just like a celebration of... Oh, we, yeah. Because we were saying goodbye to Mexican food. We're like, we're not going to get a taco anytime soon or any kind of fresh salsa. Mm -hmm. And then we started seeing cilantro on everything and we're like, this is just like, just a different, that's different kind of pot, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> different kind of spice, but with that same kind of cilantro. The cilantro same. works equally, equally well. Yeah. Maybe uh. better. No, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. And then Rubik's, I think I said last week I got the new Rubik's brand Rubik's Cube. I've been working with it this week. Um, and it's definitely not as fast as my other cube. What I like about it, I'll show you, is that it does have sharper corners, which gives it like cleaner lines. So it looks cool and it looks like nice and like a retro design object, but the turning isn't as smooth. And then like with the, with the rounded corners, what you get is like, it doesn't have to be perfectly lined up, but you could still make that turn. I mean, I did there, but with a rounded corner, it can be even more severely out of line, but you could still move it. So you can go faster. So I don't like the movement of this one, but I do like the appearance, but I think I'm gonna actually order one of the special speed cubes from online, <laughs> which are all Chinese brands, so that it will be not actually that hard to get. And so I think they're like super cheap. I think they're cheaper than an actual Rubik's. Like this one was a hundred kwai, which is about almost twenty bucks. I think the weird. other ones are like half that. It's weird for Rubik to not actually go into the market of doing that. They do sell a speed cube uh -huh. that's different. This is like the classic design. They do actually. They have made a concession to that market, but they are widely acknowledged not to be the good one for speed cubing. Uh -huh. um, 
Yeah. <laughs> this is such like a weird, nerdy little rabbit hole I'm digging myself into, but I love it. I think it's. Do they such have like little like fingerless gloves or anything that you can. With <laughs> <laughs> like Rubik on the <laughs> knuckles. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I feel like gloves would get in the way of your hands. With the, the, the fingerless ones, then you just just fingertips to like. Yeah. I don't know. I probably won't find out. <laughs> Dismissing that suggestion. No knee pads or yeah. a helmet. But so that's that's the ongoing nerderies of my life. <laughs> Let's go on to channel business. Alright, so last week we reported about our hard drive failure and this week I got a notice from Chinese Customs that our replacement drive, our backup drive that was backed up to the cloud is in Shenzhen. So I sent them a bunch of documentation to say like, this is mine, it's for personal use, blah, 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 blah. So it's supposed to arrive on Tuesday or Wednesday. So that's exciting. And then we're using this opportunity of crash to just to, to, re to sum up last Last week, our big drive with all our current projects on it failed, and we lost all that data. Um, but it's backed up, so that's what's coming to us. And then we're going to use this to set up an archiving system, which we always have talked about, but we have never actually followed through on, a, a way to keep our archives organized um, so that if there is stuff we need to access from the past, it's there and we can get to it and we know where it is. But we will have focus more on like this drive is for working projects only and this is, you know, keep it, keep it all organized. Because as you put it, the way we're currently working is, okay, so here here's what we're working on on the desk. Okay, we're done with it. Sweep it on the, off the desk onto the floor and um, leave it in a big pile, which as we have more and more footage, that is less and less sustainable. Um, a lot of space so far yeah. in the last year. And part of it is like the nature of the projects we're working on. Some of them do grab historical historical footage from our past. And, and we do have the potential being in Lujo for eight years and continuing to be in Lujo and filming to have like a big body of work that shows Lujo changing over time. So we don't want to actually lose that to... Mm -hmm disorganization. We want to be able to say like, this is Bizatu Square in 2011 and this is Bizatu Square in 2021. And like, there's potential for really interesting things to be done there, but we do then have to be careful about how we store that raw footage and which raw footage we keep and which raw footage we delete. Because this is also the problem with the digital age is you could, you could film everything and keep everything yeah. But it just it gets huge, like the the episodes of just this the talk show mm -hmm. because we're filming two cameras, full resolution. Plus the microphones. Plus, yeah, it's just huge, and so, and for the, we decided like the live show we once we have it produced and we have the episode locked. We don't. Act, we're never going to need raw footage of us just talking. Got plenty that, of that. That's not in the episode. Um, 
And because we also don't edit out, there's not stuff we talk about that we edit out. So it doesn't, for that, it doesn't actually make sense to keep raw footage, which is good because these files are huge, like I'm saying. Um, but so we, we did use the crash to take something positive from it. We used it to kind of rethink um, our whole organizational and archive system, which is, we could use that. Is that the reason why talk shows, newscasts and stuff are, unless somebody videotaped them from the 80s, like we don't tend to see if it was like on like Johnny Carson or something from 1968, then you might have a commercial left over, but a lot of like archive stuff like that, you just never... Like from the actual episodes? Yeah, yeah. Or your local news know. or something like that. Like people must just throw that away. Yeah, I mean, you're generating so much Or can you tape over that product? Film? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. Like, does News 12 Long Island keep its daily broadcasts? Right. Um, Back in the I old mean, days for, or today. Rolando, you know. Rolando could tell you. <laughs> yeah. Um, one of our friends who we used to work with is big into preservation. Yeah, I don't know, actually. I mean, there, mu there must be some kind of archive of that stuff because there's archival footage Yeah. that gets used in news and videos. I and, wonder if there's somebody who, that's movies. their job, like after after the news that week, they sit down and go like, okay, there was terrorist attack here. Right, well, I, th I think like, was... if you look in the credits of movies that use archival footage, they thank certain archives. So there is, it's not like, I don't know if NBC keeps its own archive, but there is like the Getty archive, mm. um, which Getty is a, a, a photo organization that your news organization can buy photos from them to print them. Mm. Um, they might even do, do they, do they video or is that? They do video now yeah. too. And they have stock images too. Um, stock photography is always hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, that's our that's our current working and, and kind of we've decided our priority before we start launching because we have so many ideas but before we start launching a million new project is let's actually start from a clean virtual desk and mm. then try to keep it clean um, so that's the priority right now is the archiving and, and little little things here and there um, and, uh, yeah it's always easier said and done. The, the amount of work that it takes to just maintain all and these files. This is why people are professional archivists, because we've found like several schemes look good on paper, sound good when we talk them out, and then we just don't use them, or mm -hmm. they don't work the way we thought they would. Yeah. Um, so we've had a lot of trial and error of what doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's definitely offices that I've worked in where you, somebody has worked out for months a certain plan of this goes in that bin and that goes in that bin. And they sit down and have a big meeting and mm -hmm. everyone goes like, okay, that sounds great. Everyone walks away and then never puts it in any of the bins. Yeah, yeah. And then like two months later, somebody's like, we gotta do that. Let's have another meeting. Yeah. Everyone yeah. put it in the right bins. Everyone goes, yes. And then like a year later, you gotta look at it and go like, this isn't a system that works. Let's revamp. And part of part of that is user error of you have to make it part of your workflow. The project isn't mm. finished until it's archived. It's true. Um, and I would say that has been a large part of our failing. Yeah. But there is also the factor of like it's just poorly designed, so it's, it is 
more difficult to interact with than not interacting with it and letting a problem pile up. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess we've had we've had both problems playing this. <laughs> it's always the pile up. It's the same thing like in your daily life, like with your dishes. Like yeah. You, you can yeah. wash your dishes after you eat, and you're you're all set until tomorrow. Or you can let them pile up, and at the end of the week, you got no dishes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's why when I was single, I only had like one of each dish. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great part about, especially being a foreigner in China. You, you, most kitchens, especially foreigner kitchens, have a, how many people live here? How many plates you got? Yeah, we have like, yeah, we have two of most things right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it feels like you're living like some kind of like single hobo. Yeah, which we had some people over for dinner once. Some students came over, and they they actually cooked us dinner. It was nice, but we had to go borrow dishes from next door so that we could all eat. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was weird that we didn't invite our neighbor, but <laughs> she didn't mind. She had mind. she had her own friends over. Um, but let's go on to homeschool film school. All right. Okay, so. We've got, we've got the mini-series, we're working on writing and development right now, and as of this week, I have at least outline, if not full, full incomplete drafts. It's still a mess, but the whole story is pretty much laid out from episode one to episode six. And so the next step that I am undertaking is to kind of look at the thing as a whole, all episodes, to see what's missing and what the next writing needs to be. Um, and this is this is proving very tricky. Because <laughs> um, it is, at this stage, it's a bunch of good ideas next to each other, which is better than a bunch of bad ideas next to each other. But like, there's not a cohesive flow yet, and there is like continuity inconsistencies in who who appears when and how close of friends they are for how often they appear in the the series. There's like a best friend character who does not appear at all in any of the scenes, so I had maybe have to reconsider whether she's the best friend. Um, and stuff like that. So what I've done, this is the approach I've taken. And here, this is like all new territory for me, so this is just... You can think of this as my experiment. It's definitely not advice, but this is what I've been doing. So I've been going through the episodes and writing down the log line for each scene, like where it takes place, who's in it, and then a one sentence description of the action um, with an eye towards like, what is the purpose of this scene? Cause there are some scenes that have like atmosphere for days, but I can put atmosphere into any scene. What I need is like what's plot-wise occurring in the scene and is it necessary that it happens here? And so I can look and see, I've done three of the episodes this week where I've put down on cards of like, the structure we're going for is opener, act one, act two, act three, closer. Um, and so I do the cards accordingly. Um, and I have different color cards for the A and B stories, which is helping me also see that some episodes the A and B stories are not clearly defined and some episodes they kind of intertwine in a way that I'm, I'll, it remains to be seen. It might be that's what they need to do or it might be that that's a mistake. Um, 
But so I'm putting, I'm laying out these cards and I physically lay them out on the floor so I can see like, okay, we have eight scenes in the pilot and then we have 22 scenes in season, in, in episode three. So like something needs to be adjusted for that all to balance. And this is a very like, I think it's, it's still creative in, in that it's, um, it's making decisions about, you know, I don't know. It's still creative, but it's not like imagining scenes. It's more about the methodical work of like making the structure work and making everything fit in the right place. So it's, it feels like more of a mathematical problem than a writing problem. But then once the math is solved, it will turn back into a writing problem, if that makes any sense. <laughs> um, did you, were you going to say something? No. Oh. And I, I think... I'm just marveling. So that's... The, I'm in the middle of that. And it's hard because once I, like... I'm going page by page through the script just to see what's happening. And then it is, like, I am tempted to dive in and fix things right now while I'm looking at the script. But I think for these purposes, it would be like building... Putting together an Ikea bookshelf... And as you're laying out the pieces, being like, oh, this goes here, let me screw this in for the final screw. Um, so that join will look good, but then it might be misaligned with the rest of everything else. So I, my, my instinct is to fix stuff, but I'm, I'm shying away from that in order to just, this is a survey of what we have. And the, I don't wanna actually make any changes until I can have the whole in front of me. Um, which is a big job. <laughs> um, I don't. I've never really worked on the scale before. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, like the most of my writing experience is like three hundred word articles for the newspaper we work for, which was always about like keep it short, keep it short. Mm. Um, and I've written slightly longer stuff. I've written novel manuscripts, but. Um, I haven't finished them. <laughs> I mean, like, I've finished the plot, but I have not gone back and edited it into something cohesive as a whole. Um, well, I've noticed you do keep going back and forth between having a lot of... getting a lot into the story, writing a lot, mm -hmm. and then taking it out, and then writing a lot again. And yeah, out and yeah. And I think... I think some of that might be an experience and some of that is just how I work is that I need I need to maximize the full picture and then zoom in on the specifics that I need. Mm -hmm. Like I even was saying earlier today to you of like when I start a scene thinking it through I have to have everyone walk in and say hello to each other and then maybe I even have to write down hello 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 and like it's maddening while I do it and then it's never gonna make it into the final draft but I need to I need just to visualize everyone coming into the space together because I know that's how that would happen in real life and then visualize the scene playing out until I get to like the juicy bit that that's what goes in the script um, do you think like I mean it sounds like you're literally introducing your characters to each other like yeah, and kind of introducing them to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then and, and 
So I feel like I've got, with the first rough draft, I've gotten a good handle on that. And so now it is like, make sure all the necessary pieces are there for the whole thing to fit together. Um, and that's going to take a lot of work. <laughs> but it is, um, you know, I like math problems as much as I like word problems. So that, that's fun too. Um, and it, like, I think it's helpful for me to lay it out. And then, like, I already have some ideas of what I want to fix. And, like, to go about my day, then I have, like, the timeline of what I'm working on. And just, I'll go away and keep working on it. And that's not, <laughs> that's how most creative people work. So that's not revolutionary. But it is, like, take, take a look and then step back. And then that's, like, when when things get solved. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't, I don't have, this is, this, I think from here on out, it's just questions, it's not answers for you and I. Mm. Um, Cause that's, we're stepping into something we've never done before. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I forget, I don't think I've said this on the podcast, I've said this to you, but like, we know that most creative projects don't, succeed mm -hmm. um but we have to hold on to the delusion that this one is going to succeed <laughs> or it definitely won't and so like it is uh, there's no room for naysaying there is just like just do it because this is going to be the best miniseries anybody's ever seen on any tv anywhere mm -hmm. um otherwise and I mean, get to would, work <laughs> yeah. why would anyone do anything if yeah if you were like i'll probably finish this like you won't yeah. then you just know it yeah yeah, and I guess apply that to, to anything in life. Of yeah. like, I'm going to save this man's life who's dying. Yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs> nothing nothing happens because someone gave up. Yeah. Um, it ha and no nothing is preordained either, I think. Mm. I mean, I know there are philosophies that don't think that. But I think even in, like, world events, we look on... Let's choose something from the past so as not to inflame. But, like... <laughs> I read this because I'm not old enough to be alive when Nixon was alive, but like when stuff started coming out about Watergate, people kind of didn't care. And Nixon's approval was still like pretty high, well into the idea that he should be impeached. And then it's only after history shows that he was impeached, we think like that must have been inevitable, but it wasn't. It was, you know, the act of like the journalists who found the, the story, the prosecutors who worked hard to get him impeached, and, and you know, it was everybody's efforts mattered, mm. which is like, <laughs> this is like love, I don't know, <laughs> motivation for when you're low. Your efforts <laughs> matter. <laughs> and it's not, it's not preordained. Failure and success is not preordained. You really do have to do the work mm. and get Nixon impeached. Well, I mean, to today, there's a seems to be a certain amount of people that are writers and, and I don't know, maybe media mm -hmm. that are, and certainly artists that are looking to, I mean, what are we going to just be in despair from now on? Like there's got to be, when you look at what people are going to think, like you say something like, uh, an example like Nixon, and you look back mm -hmm. on it now, you're like, well, didn't people know? Yeah. We're looking at it right now and like, don't people know? Like, of course there are some people know, and there's some people that don't know, and yeah. that's, 
And there's some people that will change their mind once history happens. Yeah. And they'll look back on it like, oh, I knew all along. Right. But they didn't. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so it is like, and also the idea of uh, art is hard (laughs) Mm -hmm. because what mainstream presents to you, like, we're not going to get a deal on NBC. We're just not. Mm-hmm. The same people who've worked at NBC for, you know, the past couple decades, they're going to keep getting sitcoms on NBC. And maybe, like, pe- there are people working their way up through the ranks, but that's, like, that's a that's an industry that's fully, fully staffed, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, like, being number one isn't the only worthwhile way of winning. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? This is kind of tortured, but (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Like, there's many ways for this project to come out and be a success. Um, And if you have, yeah, if you have too narrow a definition of success, then like, of course you're gonna fail. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna be Julia Roberts. It's it's way too late for that. (laughs) Yeah, there's uh, a number of people that, like, I look to that are my idols and. They might be looking at their own career and going like, you know, boy, I kind of bungled that whole thing. I kind of wish I did it this way. How come I'm not, you know, you know, sting or yeah. something? <laughs> Which I say all this because it is like just the act of going through and putting down on cards what we already have is also like it's making clear how much work there is left to do to even finish this first stage. Mm. Um, And it's the perfect point to choose not to do it. Um, Mm -hmm. We're not going to choose that because that's like, what am I doing with my life if not that? What else am I going to (laughs) do? That's the artist's credo. Yeah. Um, And then I enjoy it. I like doing it. And it is, but it is like, oh, this is like a pile of problems. There's good Mm. stuff here. It's good enough that I'm not discouraged, but like there's so much work to be done. And it's a point at which like I think assessment is healthy. There's discouragement and then there's just not really being interested in a project. If something goes stale. Well, yeah, that would be be failure. Yeah. If if I was just doing this because I thought you wanted to do this and you were just doing it because you thought I wanted to. Right. But when you like, when we're making YouTube videos and like, we're like, oh great, five people watched that one, wonderful. (laughs) But one person maybe said something interesting about it. And then you're like, well, that's enough to go on to the next one. And we like making it. And yeah, that's the big part. Even more than that. I have something else I want to make, so I'm just going to do it. Yeah. If it was that no one else was going to watch it, then that wouldn't be a reason for me to make or not make. Yeah. To make. <laughs> Is baby gonna make? <laughs> Ew. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's my homeschool film school for this week. Do you wanna go on to commentary? Yeah. We have three videos for you this week, so we'll start in chronological order of when they were posted. So first we'll start with Getting Old in China, which was formally called Gym Noises and was part of a larger package, but this is one of the um, remasters of little skits that we thought didn't get their due the first time around. Yeah. Um, and this one is it's about going to the gym, because um, that's what I do. <laughs> um, 
And this one in the original recording, there was a woman with a basket on these metal casters behind me. So the actual um, raw film has this like <laughs> happening the whole time because she's dragging it and it's so loud. Yeah, wheels is a generous term for whatever. It's <laughs> yeah, it was just metal scraping. <laughs> um, which I think the first time around you like hit it in the soundtrack, mm-hmm. and then this the second time you managed. Uh, well, why don't you address that? Well, it's just a matter of hiding it in different ways with different effects, kind of like the same thing that we did with one of the last ones. I forget the name mm. already, but it's. But like you said, with a year more experience, you're kind of better at. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's it's putting makeup on stuff, but you can't make it go away. It's stuck on 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 the, the the audio. You can't just clear it out. There isn't like a separate stereo mono mix or something like that. It's just yeah. basically like you top a bunch of other noise on top of it to like <laughs> fool the ear that like oh I'm just in a an exciting action-packed area. Yeah, <laughs> that noise belongs there, and I like it. Yeah, that's all you can really do. Yeah. We, we've talked like uh, about like when we watch something uh, like Bourdain, we would always watch, and how much actual stuff is being talked over on voiceover. Um, yeah, especially because, in, a, in a bar or a restaurant, it's really yeah. hard to get clean or, sound. Or yeah, a market or a food court or something. Yeah. Like, it, they would basically be yelling at each other and then jump out to uh, a voiceover as yeah. quickly as you could. Yeah, and sometimes like the conversation is good enough that they subtitle it even. Yeah. Because um, live conversation, I know that he thought, and I also think live conversation is more engaging than a sterile voiceover after the fact, I think. Yeah, um, it's, it's almost worth it just to try that little bit of effort to, to, to maintain it somehow. I mean, and that's one thing, particularly us and other vloggers uh, here in China. Um, I know there's other countries that are loud too, but China <laughs> is a very loud country, and anyone that's trying to get any kind of audio is just watch any vlogger. If they're out on the street, there's going to be a scene where they're just like, and that's a horn, yeah, and that's a baby, and that's a baby yelling at a horn. So there's going to be, uh, it's 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 a nightmare for audio. Yeah. China. A nightmare for audio. <laughs> that was one of the first things we noticed when we moved here. We'd go down like the main street by the the center of the old town um, and the stores would all have PAs that were all like blasted out broken. Yeah. Because they all... just like there's an arms race of like I'm gonna turn mine up, I'm gonna turn mine up and then like pfft, yeah, there's okay. no base anymore. Everyone has blown out speakers all the way down the street and it's yeah. just yelling distortion. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's the sonic landscape we're working with. That's that's shopping. <laughs> and they're yelling deals at you, mm-hmm. and you're either going to run away from them or you're going to buy a deal just to get out of there. So yeah, <laughs> it works. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> then our other video was Noodles to You, which is an old song of Peter's from... Yeah, it's an old eight-track Back in analog. the day. Um, that we it's, all, used... it's all Casio tone and, and cheapo guitar. Yeah, well, you said we use it in a lot of different yeah. soundtracks. Yeah, but... in the beginning, um, our first, I don't know, 50, 60 videos or so, before we set up this keyboard and, and digitally started redoing, doing new stuff, 
um, we just used a bunch of old cassette tapes that I had laying around from like college and stuff. And this is one of the more more listenable ones. It's still pretty weird, <laughs> but it sounds like noodles to me, so it, it yeah. kind of worked well for being a noodle soundtrack. Yeah, so it did go. the The song was paired with a video about noodles. Yeah, among the, other, the original among one. other things. The yeah. The original main one was you testing out three different local noodles. Yeah. Um, and then so the... This music video, that's why it's noodles. Yeah. And it's just noodles. Yeah. And we filmed noodles. so many noodles. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I like noodles. You have noodles for lunch every day almost. Mm-hmm. Um, Noodle guy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's the story behind that. And then the third one is... A new music video for a new original song called Western Bar, which is something that Peter worked on while I was in America. Um, yep. And is, is there anything you want to say about that? Used an old footage from Lee John. Some of the footage we've used before, but some of it was stuff that we hadn't used. Um, and yeah, just there. There's a, a lifestyle of a Western bar. Dirtbag foreigner. Dirtbag <laughs> foreigner. That uh, it, um, it's in the big cities. It's in the little cities. In Lijiang, it was um, like living in a little hobbit hole. Yeah, and there's like what they call the banana pancake trail, which oh, I don't. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm not exactly certain of what that is, but it is like Westerners who kind of go north and south from Thailand and Vietnam up to like mm-hmm. um, Western China, where things are generally more relaxed. There's some association with drugs, I know. And I guess it is like, banana pancakes are not a native food to any of those places, but hostels serve them because Westerners are there? I don't know, if you know what that term means, um, write it in the comments, yeah. Um, But yeah, so there is like that lifestyle. It's a very, the the Dali, Yunnan itself has a, yeah, yeah, I guess it's part of that whole trail of, of hikers, backpackers, down to beach goers, and it's a very, it's a crunchy attitude. And it's definitely people who are, like, escaping from life, mm. whereas, like, I would say all the foreigners in Lujo are very, like, settled down and, like, this is their life. It's mm-hmm. not, like, a party that they're having while they don't grow up. Right. And yeah, we, we definitely... To speak frankly. <laughs> <laughs> we got to see it uh, within our year there in Lijiang. Um, and follow... Which is through. not to say like everybody in Lijiang is that way, but it does... Right, right, right. Like socially, there's more of a presence of that kind of lifestyle right. still there. Well, yeah, and every Western bar has its own... You know, you have your, your game nights or, you know, whatever you get together to... Yeah. We had Game of Thrones was a big thing as we were leaving. Mm-hmm. Everyone did a Game of Thrones night and you, what was the, some kind of like red torpedo like liquid or something? Fireball cinnamon tequila or cinnamon, cinnamon flavored something. Yeah. Um, so it's like a drinking game and everything and y'all sit in these groovy little places with rock posters and yeah. broken guitars and so it's, it's. And, and then complain AC's. about how hard it is to live abroad yeah. <laughs> <laughs> while you're watching Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a lifestyle thing that um, again I think it's in the big cities too. It's just yeah, a little, probably it's a little less you know woodsy. But uh, yeah, that's what we we saw. 
Yeah. Well, there and there is, I think, a definite. Well, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm gonna say this and don't take it as definitive fact. But I think in Western China, it is easier to find drugs than in the mm. East. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe big. Maybe all big cities have drugs, but it's definitely like that pipeline up from Southeast Asia. Yeah. Um, well, we were meant it was more prevalent for many reasons, including money. It only went to the Western bar, you know, once every two weeks or something. Yeah. It's not even. But we would hear that a lot of people that were there every night, they would be like, oh, good thing you weren't here last night because the cops came in and shut oh, yeah, everyone yeah. down. Kind of well, they, yeah, they, they would raid the bar and make everybody take a drug test, and then if you didn't pass, they would extort you for money. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, that's not the way the police operate in Lujo at all. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely, like, on all sides, shady stuff going on in western China. <laughs> I had a student even, a Chinese person who was born and raised in Lijiang and she was working for a hotel. She had like a degree in, in hospitality and she's like, I gotta move east because it's so corrupt here. I'm never gonna get the promotions because I'm mm. not playing that game. But in the east it's more cleaned up and so I'll have like a better chance of on on the merit of my work getting promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and we so were surprised. It's, definitely, it's not just us being like, ah! <laughs> yeah, well, we were surprised that, like, people always had stories of, like, yeah, my, my e-bike was stolen last night, there mm-hmm. was a drug bust here, there was a crackdown with some mafia, and we're like, this is a tiny little town. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a little postcard tourist town. Yeah. Um, with a very seedy underbelly. We were we always tried to be home by 10 o'clock, not because of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so that we could watch TV at home. Yeah. But then we would come up the next day and hear, like, yeah, there was a there, there was a thing happening. Yeah. Last night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, don't even tell me I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there there were some funny stories. But yeah, so that translated into the Western Bar song. Yeah. Um which I like the your animated heads on the side um was very <laughs> like early animation in music video in the mm. 80s. Um Yeah, the whole thing has I've decided like a take on me kind of like shutter speed to, mm-hmm. to the movement. I definitely have, I mean, that's what I grew up with anyways, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's also in very in vogue now with an 80s retro feel. Um, but I, I have to wonder when I'm looking at that kind of stuff, like it's not that it's easy now, but it must be so much easier now than it was back then to cut things out, to do shadow versions and cutouts mm. and stencils and things like that. A lot of that stuff in the 80s, early MTV stuff, must have been done by hand. Well, that, yeah, they were, like, expensive and then award-winning yeah. projects that to today look quaint to us. Yeah, we can easily sit down and make a Talking Heads video, like, in this mm-hmm. room. Yeah, yeah. For no money. But... Awesome. <laughs> oh, and the other thing you told me about this video is that you filmed yourself... You kind of knew what the words were going to be, but you hadn't actually written all the words to it yet, mm. which I thought was very interesting. <laughs> the uh, you, you because the, the you don't actually have to do a mouth a voiceover. You're not actually singing it, um, so it kind of actually works out better. Because if you're going to sing it, your voice. I mean, if you're looking at my mouth right now, it's not opening that wide. When you're singing, it might not open up wide either. So you kind of yeah. have to like fake 
and at that point, it, things become so exaggerated, it's like... Well, but, and that's, I mean, I think it's an interesting detail that you you didn't, you didn't finalize the lyrics yet, and you were able to film it, but, like, no, no band actually performs the song live for their video, right. even if it appears they are playing, they are just, that they're not using that audio. And something interesting of not using the finished lyrics, that always blew my mind, looking at the back of the album cover with the the lyrics would be there, and you're like, that's not what he's saying. Like, Oh, yeah. That, that was always weird, because like, well, wouldn't you just go back and finish? But I guess, I mean, there's many reasons of like, maybe you saying that, you're not, you don't have studio time anymore, mm-hmm. or maybe you sang it. And you're like, that's actually, I didn't want to sing those. I, I had a different line in there, and it actually makes more sense. Yeah. So you change it on the album cover. And it used to drive me nuts as a kid. Like, <laughs> how, how, how could this slip by? They go back and fix either the record sleeve or the recording. Something's got to be fixed here. Pissing me off. That's funny. I ne- that never bothered me. <laughs> but I don't actually listen to lyrics. Uh-huh. Um, so that maybe that's why that didn't bother me. <laughs> But that's, I'm guessing how, or one of the reasons why that happens. Is that, yeah, you like, can I see in the finish. workflow, like, it, it between here and here it changed, and it doesn't make financial sense to go back. Yeah. Or there's just no time, or it doesn't matter, yeah. or, or you're, I mean, you're trying to do something subversive, and you don't want it, you know. That's true. In a written record. With, with time, or with just, like, effort of, like, you're like, that turned out, because I had all the time in the world, I could have gone back. There's some of the lyrics aren't the actual lyrics I wanted, I sang them wrong when I sang them, because I was worried about, like, the microphone we're using, like we talked about, like, <laughs> karaoke. karaoke. <laughs> um, so I'm, like, forgetting lyrics as I'm doing them, and then I'm like, oh, I meant to sing this word, so you change them in the written one. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why didn't I, I had all the time in the world to go back and change them, it's, but it sounded good, so... <laughs> yeah, that's the thing with performance, singing and just speaking, sometimes, like, you can feel like that take went so well, even though I kind of said the wrong thing, I don't think I could do it again that at that level, so let's stick with yeah. that one. Or maybe it's even better. Yeah, yeah, maybe you subconsciously slipped in a word that works even better. Yeah. But yeah, there's a lot of reasons why. I mean, performance, we're not robots. Mm-hmm. That's why it's an art, not a science. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. When when I went home, this will this will relate at the end. <laughs> um, my first day back in America, after like being up for a million hours um, and poorly sleeping on the plane, the thing I decided to do was bake cookies because I do really like baking. But I also figured like I like the the fiddliness of baking. Like, cooking is just like, throw this in, da, 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 da. anything can be right, and I don't like that, but I like the, I know the process of like, here's how you measure flour to get an accurate measure. And actually, I know like a 20 years old method, the real method is not to weigh it, because weight is more accurate than volume, but, so I, I have my processes, but it was like, do is focusing on these fiddly processes was helping me stay awake because my I wanted to stay up to to the evening so I could start to get on America time quicker. But there was like get making make the focusing on the precision helped me like 
pass the time. Mm. Um, but I think, unlike baking, making stuff, making art is not about the precision. It is about like, well, what came out this time? All right, add a dash of this. Mm. All right, try for this. You didn't make it, but that was interesting. Um, so that's that's my <laughs> comparison. <laughs> and it's funny that you do that with baking too, because baking is such an exact cooking science. And but when it comes to cooking regular meal meals, yeah, you're you're always like, what's the right amount of hot peppers that go in here? Like, yeah, I mean that's how, how can you take it? In general, my personality problem is that I'm looking for someone to give me permission. <laughs> um, and baking tells you exactly what the instructions are. Whereas writing, no one had, no one gave me permission to write this, mm. so I had to give myself permission. <laughs> and I had to like all these processes I'm making up because I find comfort in process. Uh, so I need that, but it doesn't exist because it's not, it's not precision. It's it's a mess. Kevin Smith has a funny story about when he was a kid, never thought about writing. And his sister would write, mm -hmm. and he, he he found her writing and, and was like, "Well, what are you doing?" She's like, "I'm writing write a book." Wait, but who told you you could? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I would totally. I mean, except for my mom told me I could when I was younger. Mm. Uh, she was a big reason. Like, I guess she she did. You know, it's weird growing up with siblings that your experience is, of course, going to be different. But like, my experience of childhood was different than my sister's <laughs> now thinking back because like my mom was always like telling me to write but that's not because she was just like children should write <laughs> she was like well you should write and then she tried it out with my sisters and they didn't respond in the same ways that I did and so like she tried other activities with them um but I did generalize that as like moms always tell kids they should write. But no, it was just my mom told me as a kid <laughs> I should write. So yeah, I didn't have to ever ask permission to to write because that was always part of mm. um, the initial programming. Well, the, I think what because uh, he he went right um, Kevin Smith went right to like did like the government did the school say did you <laughs> give me permission to do this. <laughs> Yeah, mine isn't quite so hierarchical. It's more of like a. I like the thought of like, but just because also when you're thinking of like you're saying earlier, like, yeah, we're not going to get on ABC with this show. Right. So who told you you could do this? Yeah. Who's commissioning this? Yeah. No one. That's that's part of like the modern day. We'll commission it by moving into China and you'll yeah. teach kindergarten yeah. and we'll figure out how to save the right amount of money and hire people in this tiny little town and we'll figure out how to do it because other people have done it because technology is amazing today and even though we're using up all the memory in our computer right now, all yeah. our bikes are flying <laughs> out the window, what we conserve and we'll figure out because we said we could do it. Yeah. Yeah. Ba-bang. So we say you can do it. Noodles to you.